good morning uh, or good afternoon or perhaps even good evening um, welcome back to another edition of the sporting blog podcast um, I'm Ollie and I just realized that the sporting blog blog podcast is not the most imaginative title um, but um, we do take the Ron Seal approach in a lot of things we do um, and I do in my professional career as well. I've always followed that approach uh, so for now we're going to keep it like that but maybe in the future when we start racking up interviews and things we might specialise um, in podcasts about football, tennis, cricket etc. So um, just quickly touching on some pretty uh, interesting stats I read today. Um, it's Rafa Nadal's birthday. Um, if you don't know who Rafa Nadal is, um, then I, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. Uh, because if you're into sport, you'll know that Rafa Nadal is one of the greatest uh, tennis players of all time. Um, currently ranked number two in the world, but has been number one in the world. I think 2008 was the first time he got up there. Um, he has won 12 French Open titles, which is just mind-boggling. Um, one Australian Open, two Wimbledon titles, and he's won the US Open four times as well. So, quick bit of maths tells you that's 19 Grand Slams. is one behind the maestro Roger Federer and uh, Novak Djokovic, I think, is a couple behind that and uh, will certainly win a few more and probably end up overtaking them all eventually just because he seems to have a bit more of a, a, a chance on all surfaces. Um, but back to Rafa. Uh, 34 today. Um, now, amazingly, and look, tennis originally, uh, not originally, sorry, but tennis was, was thought of for a long time as a, a young person sport. You know, you you have to start playing very young. Um, I know this from, from a bit of experience. Um, you you play a lot when you're young, you're young. It's not something you can kind of pick up when you're in your early 20s and expect to make, um, to be a decent level as in you know a pro level and people certainly take it up in their 20s and end up coaching and playing decent club tennis and whatever but really it's um, a sport of repetition um, much like golf you know you have to hit thousands of balls frankly the the muscle memory the groove the uh, repeated footwork patterns the uh, just you know how your body moves naturally this requires an awful lot of balls to be hit and you know that starts at a young age um, as well as obviously learning technique and playing matches and all the rest of it but generally before um, the last few years it was a young person sport and um, when Nadal came along I think he played his first tour match at 16 against ironically enough his now coach uh, Carlos Moya that might not be a 100% true fact but uh, he definitely played one of his first matches against Moyer and beat him, I believe. Uh, I remember when I was working at the time, um, a friend I worked with had a 
a mate who was a professional punter in Hong Kong, I think. And he used to uh, have a very complex but solid tennis betting system. And this is kind of early 2000s. Uh, the bookies still weren't that sharp on tennis. This is pre-exchange days or at least early exchange days. And, you know, you could make a lot of money, especially um, as most bookies just created a fairly straightforward market based on results and and world rankings. And anyway, uh, people like Nadal, when they came along at 16, um, everyone was talking about him. And I remember the bookie uh, guy and others having watched a lot of his junior matches and so on. Um, making quite a bit of money out of an up-and-coming Rafa Nadal. Um, I think that it's hard to to underestimate, sorry, it's easy to underestimate how possibly hard it is to win a, a well, any professional tennis tournament, but let alone a Masters level tournament or a Grand Slam tournament. But the French Open in particular um, requires... I mean, just insane levels of, of of physical effort, but mental effort too. You know, you're not winning quick points on clay. Uh, to to start that first day at the French Open, thinking oh, I'm going to win this, and uh, I'm I'm ready to grind out seven potentially best of five set matches on clay uh, in late. May, early June, and um, on a reasonably slow. I mean, Roland Garros is quite a heavy clay. Um, the Philippe Chatrier court is the main court, but it's a deep red clay. Ball holds up and uh, obviously takes the spin. Uh, but, you know, it's it's just, you know, from someone who's played a bit, but not a lot compared to a pro, but played a, you know, a fair bit of tennis and, and on clay too. To play that many games in a short amount of time and not, you know, you're not serving many aces, put it that way. And you're certainly not playing against people who are prepared to take uh, a lot of risks uh, because they're, they're looking to rally and they're going to play a few feet behind the baseline or certainly when Nadal started playing people were still playing a few feet behind the baseline and giving the ball plenty of air over the net and getting it to come down uh, and trying to grind out wins from the back because you know hitting winners is just so hard on the surface and then this 16 year old kid came along and just said look I'm going to grind harder than all of you and also hit a forehand with more topspin than you've ever seen before and hit a backhand like it's a forehand uh, so he just changed he changed the game in terms of of how clay court tennis was played look I mean Borg won five on clay and five on grass I mean which is the most extraordinary thing as well uh, five French Opens is nuts I mean just nuts but then 12 and you know if he played this year it would have been 13 maybe Djokovic uh, was in slightly better nick but you know, and Nadal's had injuries too. This was amazing. He's won 85 tournaments in uh, in his time on tour. You know, almost 20 years on tour, 18 years I think in total. 85 tournaments, and he's had injuries, knees, 
wrist, really bad wrist. You know, he's missed a few of these grand slams. If you look at, there's a couple of uh, A's for absent when you look through the stats. So, yeah, look, Phenom. Um, one remarkable stat I looked at today whilst I was creating a, a little infographic about uh, the man himself on his birthday. Uh, he's won $120 million uh, in prize money. That's a lot of prize money. Um, let alone, of course, earnings from all sorts of other stuff. But that's uh, a big chunk of prize money. And uh, he deserves it, in my opinion. He's a really nice guy, humble, intelligent, much like his peers, actually. Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. I mean, these are good role models and generally humble people and intelligent, hardworking, respectful. You know, you're talking speaking multiple languages, etc., etc. I think, but I think Nadal, you know, had, he started, he came on the scene, if you like, a bit younger. The Federer was well known. He won junior Wimbledon. He was slightly impetuous as a youngster. Um, and it wasn't until he beat Sampras at Wimbledon, I think it was a fourth round, was it a fourth round or a third round, um, that he really arrived. And it was like, oh, wow, this guy is the real deal. But Nadal was winning tour matches at 16. This left-hander who just ripped the ball from deep behind the baseline into both corners. You know, people are taking the ball above their shoulder and these are professional players struggling to to take the ball because of the amount of top on the on the forehand especially, and a backhand that creates ridiculous angles because he was born right-handed and he plays left-handed. And the legend goes that it was Uncle Tony, the coach, that suggested you should, you know, you should learn to play left-handed, you know, A, because of the serve, um, but B, because you're essentially going to be able to play from both sides. So let's use your strong, make your strong side, right hand, your backhand, he essentially plays a forehand, but holds, puts his left hand on the bottom of the racket. And on his left-hand side, he's developed this lasso-type forehand with an extraordinary follow-through that generally goes either above his head, which is where you're clearing out the way of the ball, and, and your hip, his hip rotation is so fast that the racket head speed he builds up with his left hand means that he finishes with his forehand above his head. Um, which is definitely unusual. Most people follow through across their body and um, over the shoulder. Um, and other times you see him when he's ripping the ball really cross court and low, his forehand actually, his racket doesn't really extend above his head. It's amazing. Um, but that's what comes from having uh, an incredible physique as well. He was very big as a teenager and in his early 20s. We can make your own... Um, decision on how someone gets that big and athletic at that age um, questionable for me um, that that's all just genetics but still um, I think that what we uh, should celebrate about the guys is longevity too I mean all of these guys seem to be going on they're so smart at managing their bodies now but Nadal has has grinded matches more than most Unbelievable, you know, Wimbledon final against Federer, the one that went on for hours into the dark. Australian Open final, like six hours long. I mean, these guys, Federer has, you know, when, when Federer was winning his 
when he won his sort of five US Opens in a row, he just seemed to glide through the tournament and just sort of caress his way to victory. But Nadal has done it the hard way. So, um, just wanted to touch on Rafa really on this. Uh, I'm going to go a lot more into detail on various bits like that in the future. Um, but it's Rafa's birthday, so happy birthday, Rafa. Check out the sporting blog for um, a very simple infographic on the man himself. And um, I think we'll go into a bit more detail on his technique one day. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to whack them on our social accounts, Twitter, um, Facebook, or Instagram. And please visit the sporting.blog. Have a good Wednesday, guys and girls.